0: You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast. This episode presented by Associate Minister Joel Snibson.
1: The Bible reading today is taken from Acts chapter 2, 1 to 13. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: Hi, church. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day of Pentecost, and we say that we need you, we need your power in our lives and in our church. And as we open your scriptures today, please speak to us of who you want us to be as your people. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, has there been a significant event in your life where you've gone from something that's familiar to the unknown, from something that's been theory, where you, to something where you've experienced a new reality. One of my best friends planned a 12 month trip to London, but the problem was the timing. It was in January, 2020, and we all know what happened then, COVID happened. So all of his plans went out the window, but luckily he could extend his trip for a few months as he bunkered down in a unit. But it was in these few months as life opened up after lockdown where everything changed. While in his research for his holiday, he had an idea about what the culture was like there, living in that city, all the travel that was available. But it's only when he experienced weekends catching the tube to Saturday markets, seeing shows in West End, hopping over to Italy or Greece for some sunshine just because he could. And importantly, as he made new friends and built a community around him, living there changed everything. And he rang me one day and said, Joel, living here is like Melbourne, but everything is so much better. I've resigned from my job in Melbourne. I'm now going to live here. I wasn't happy with this. But the thing is, we've all got significant moments in our lives where an idea becomes real, where we go from the familiar to the unknown. Well, Pentecost is one of these really significant events in the life of the church. On this day when the Holy Spirit is poured out on Jesus' followers, he takes them from the familiar to the unknown, from an idea to a wonderful new Reality. See, the Holy Spirit is God's presence poured out. In verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. So this day started with something pretty familiar. 120 of them had gathered for a Jewish festival called the Grain Harvest Festival, and where people would offer up their first crops to God in thankfulness. However, this festival had a deeper meaning underneath it all. If you know your geometry, you know that a pentagon has five sides. Well, this festival marks not five, but 50 days since the Passover. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, the Passover was a key significant moment for God's people where God had saved their firstborn sons and rescued rescued them from slavery in Egypt. And also the timing of this Pentecost also corresponded with another significant event for God's people, when God's presence came down at Mount Sinai. You might remember from the cartoons as a kid, it's on the mountain where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments or the law. And you can read this in full in Exodus chapter 19. But this was a truly epic event. This was out of this world. There's smoke everywhere. There's thunder and lightning, trumpets blasting as God's presence comes down in fire. These are familiar, but significant events in the life of God's people And this was in the back of their minds, and let us read what happens on this day. Verse 2. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came and rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So we have storms, we have fire coming down from heaven, a reminder of that mountain. And now God's presence is wonderfully descending on his people now at Pentecost, a new reality in the life of God's people. He's doing something significant. In verse 4, we see that all of them, all 120 of them, receive this Holy Spirit. This number of people couldn't all be deluded. Their senses did not lie to them. They encountered God's holy, powerful presence. The sound of the violent winds, the fire resting on each of them, finding themselves speaking these new languages they don't even understand. This is not familiar. This is strange, but very real. See, this wasn't a bitterly cold morning like in Melbourne where the wind blows through you a day like today or a scary fire storm in summer. This was supernatural. This is from heaven. And like in a spiritual tag team, we have the risen Jesus ascending into heaven. And now the Holy Spirit is coming down in Jesus' place to empower his followers from within. Just like at Pentecost, the Spirit began a new way of salvation. Just like up on that mountain, the Holy Spirit is God's presence poured out, bringing down not a law that's written on tablets, but a law that is written on human hearts. So our worship can now be from the inside out. So, what do we do with the Holy Spirit? Often, we find the Spirit to be like that awkward uncle at Christmas lunch. We really do not know what to do with him. If we are Anglicans, we like control, we like familiarity, we like predictability in our worship, we like to have liturgy. But the Holy Spirit isn't to be controlled or to be predictable. Without the Holy Spirit, though, the church is dead. We cannot possibly know Jesus and we cannot live in his fruit in our lives. In my faith journey, uh, uh, my faith became more real in my life. Uh, There was a specific uh, meeting at church and a leader prayed for me and I encountered the Holy Spirit in a new way and it helped me in that time to serve in new ways in the church. And I'm not saying this is for everybody. We all have different circumstances of coming to faith in Jesus and the Spirit's work in us. But my prayer is that the Spirit's work in your life is not just an idea, but it's a reality for you. In the creeds, we actually recite that the Holy Spirit is the giver of life, where God's powerful presence breathes new life into all aspects of our lives, our hearts' desires, our thoughts, how we talk, growing our love for Jesus and our love for other people. See, the Pentecost moment should give us bold faith. We have the same in Jesus. We have the same power with us today, and he can still move powerfully and give life where there is death. He can revive dead communities and individuals with his life in significant ways to this day. However, as we see the Holy Spirit poured out on this group of people with fire, we might feel guilt or worry that we haven't or not having powerful encounters like here at Pentecost. Let me encourage you. If you trust in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit in you and with you. And these are significant events, and it's not always the usual experience of faith. While God can and still moves in the mountaintop moments, the Spirit's work is often in the steady growth. It's not in the violent winds, but listening to the small, small voice. Not only in experiences of fire, but the Spirit's power in small steps of obedience each day in often the unremarkable things. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says he longs to give his Holy Spirit to his people. If you don't normally go to church and Jesus is not yet your king, let me encourage you, ask him for the Holy Spirit. Just as a parent loves to give good gifts to their children, Jesus longs to give his powerful presence to you. Ask him today. We also see in this passage that the Spirit gathers in a multi-ethnic church. This is actually Luke's main focus of the passage. It's all about who is there on the day. See, the first thing the Spirit does is he feels an international community of Jesus' disciples. See, up until this point in Jerusalem, it had been the center of the Jewish faith and also the Jesus movement. This is where they accessed God's presence in the temple. Jesus had been crucified there as well. And now as this international crowd gathered for this festival, it was a mix of Jews and also other migrants who had come to faith and they had been scattered far and wide. And in verses 9 to 11, Luke does this roll call of the nation's present, Just like a president who wins the U.S. election does this rousing victory speech and lists off every state in the U- United States of America, here Luke presents a map covering tens and thousands of square miles from the north to Parthia and Mesopotamia, to the east to Rome, to west to Egypt, and to south to the island of Crete. In verse 5, when Luke says God fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, he's not literally mentioning every nation on earth. For example, the first Australians were not present here on that day. But the point is that this was a comprehensive representation of the known world, the spirit gathering this multi-ethnic community of the nations. I travelled with Adele to where her family is from, which is in Sorrento, in the southern part of Italy. And there, there's one Protestant church. Actually, I hope there's more now. But when I visited, um, there was one church, and attending the service, I had no idea what was going on. But it was in the worship music that I found moving. It's not just because the song lyrics in Italian are so much more beautiful than in English. It's true. But what was powerful is as we sang the same songs that we sing here, that I had a a reality, for me, it became reality that our faith in Jesus is not an Anglican thing, it's not an Australian suburban thing. We're caught up in this international Jesus movement. Last week, Tim shared a similar experience as he attended the Persian church that meets here. As we heard last week from Ephesians chapter 2, in Jesus we are reconciled into one new humanity. Through Jesus' risen power, we, we join a brand new family. But unlike me in Italy, when this crowd heard these tongues, they were bewildered because they could understand what was going on. They heard their own language being spoken. See, in the Mediterranean world, everyone's second language was Greek, just like most people's second language is English in the current world. So the people in this crowd could either speak uh, Greek or Aramaic. So they probably understood each other in some way. But what caused bewilderment is that these new tongues that they were hearing was their first language. It was their heart language it was the language they grew up with. In fact, it was in their own specific dialect. They didn't need to translate in their head. And as the Holy Spirit caused these supernatural tongues, these were known languages. As we read elsewhere in the New Testament, and even as we read further on in the book of Acts, we we hear about this new heavenly language, tongues of angels that we hear in 1 Corinthians. I'm not going to be speaking about the gift of tongues today, but if you want to find out more about this, please check out our series from 2021 from the book of 1 Corinthians. And there's a talk on that. So check that out on YouTube. But considering Luke's focus here on this multi-ethnic gathering, you might be feeling a bit cynical thinking, oh, we're just being politically correct just like a progressive agenda, like many of our companies who are having diversity quotas. But as this Holy Spirit is poured out on this international gathering, it points to a deeper reality of God's promises and power at work. See, the nations is God's promises coming real. See, in God's bigger story, This is a significant moment where the Jesus movement, once exclusively for Jews, is clearly now expanding to the whole world. And this has always been God's plan. This was always his idea. In the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis 12, God promises a guy called Abraham that all people on earth will be blessed through you. See, God's promises for Israel was always to use them to bless the whole world. And just before this promise was made in chapter 11, this was all put at risk at the Tower of Babel. If you're at the beach and you hear a kid say, I'm going to dig my way all the way to China, you might roll your eyes and laugh and say, Oh, have a go at it, no worries. Where at the Tower of Babel, the similar thing was kind of going on. All the nations got together and said, we're going to build a city and a tower that goes all the way to heaven. Well, they've tried it in Dubai and it doesn't work. Structural engineers will tell you that there is limits on how high a building can go, even though some can be impressively high. At Babel, Their building aspirations were wrong because they were trying to seek glory for themselves rather than God. And so what did God do? God judged them and confused their languages so they could not understand each other. But as the Holy Spirit is powerfully poured out on this day of Pentecost, the curse of Babel is reversed as they now understand each other in their own dialects and languages. God's promises made real in this multi-ethnic gathering. I remember I had just returned from an international trip and I'd been to all these wonderful destinations and I came back to church and I met somebody and had a conversation with them and it came up, they hadn't even left the state. It actually turned out they hadn't even left that that part of the state. And so I was very polite about it all, but in my heart, I judged them. I kind of looked down on them. I felt like I was all worldly and cultured, coming back from my international trip, and they hadn't even left this part of the state. But little did I know they didn't have the means to travel, so the shame was on me. But this attitude of mine was present among the crowd at Pentecost. Look at verses seven and eight. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? So these Galileans, they were speaking dialects from places they clearly had never been. They were notorious from being a backwater. They were known for being uneducated, uncultured, they were poor. And they even had a reputation of, like what I'm doing now, slurring their speech for not being able to speak fluently. And they are now speaking dialects from places thousands of miles away. See, the Spirit overcomes earthly barriers. At Pentecost, it's ethnic, language, and socioeconomic barriers. At a previous church I was part of, we didn't have a church building, and so our services were held in a large shopping complex. And afterwards, we would have lunch together in the food court, often at the dumplings place, so we'd have this long table where we'd all share lunch together. And I'd notice that people would often stare at us, and it's probably because we were sometimes being too loud, but we were confusing. In in addition to the different ethnicities present, we had older people chatting to younger people. We had families with young children eating with single people. We had some people dressed conservatively and other people who had more alternative dress sense. We had politically left and right and rich and poor. We had a surgeon eating lunch with a guy who would struggle to get a job and then pay for his meal afterwards. The Spirit's work, friends, should be bewildering. It should be confusing to those looking at us. Only with Jesus' presence and power, people with literally nothing in common are united together in worship of Jesus as one new family, overcoming all earthly barriers. See, it's natural. We're like everyone else if we serve, love, and care for people who are just like us. Even at the footy club, we're united together by a love of the game or a love for beer, In the online world, people are separating into smaller and smaller echo chambers with people who think and believe all the same things. But the Spirit's power is clearly on display when we share and show Jesus to people who are not like us. So how is the Spirit compelling us to overcome different barriers to glorify Jesus? See, Pentecost asked this question. As a church, are we tearing down barriers or putting barriers up to the gospel? Often we don't do this intentionally. I hope we are not racist or classist or prejudiced people. Pentecost shows a powerful rejection from God of these attitudes. But even unknowingly, how are we excluding others from our Jesus community? See, as we consider our preferences the way we do things, even worship, sometimes they might be guided by our white and middle-class values rather than the kingdom of God values. So the goal is more than diversity itself. It's being a united community of worshipping Jesus' people, where Jesus' power overcomes all those earthly things that divide us. I pray that onlookers will be bewildered They'll be amazed. They'll be perplexed as they encounter us. Having Jesus' unity in a diverse, growing community is not idealism. As, there's more, as we grow, there's more possible barriers for miscommunication, for misunderstanding, for offense, for even conflict. In Acts 6, we see two ethnic groups go at each other because widows are missing out on food. See, we need the Spirit's power. But this power will make church more complex. It will make our community more messy in a good way. Are we up for the Spirit doing this or do we prefer the familiar? See, the Spirit sends us so new people worship Jesus. See, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit enabled new people to worship him. Verse 11, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. See, as these people understood worship in their own heart language, in their own specific dialects, it shows something really important, that Jesus seeks to be personally known by all peoples. See, if you're checking out Christianity, I want you to know that the worship of God is the entire purpose of your life, whether you realize it or not. This is true for every human being. And as Peter explains next week, as we continue in Acts 2, the object of this worship is the risen Jesus. He's the one that unifies us and unifies this diverse crowd. Last week from Revelation 7, we heard from Tim reminding us of where we are headed on that day where every nation, tribe, and tongue are united together before Jesus' throne in worship, and Pentecost is the beginning of this new reality. So with this perspective, the Holy Spirit's all about equipping Jesus' disciples so other people can know him too, And this is Jesus' plan from Acts chapter 1, where Jesus himself says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, Jesus' presence and power wasn't to remain in the familiar comfort zone in Jerusalem but to be sent out to unknown people and places so outsiders can become insiders and worship Jesus as well. See, God's people were no longer about come to us. They were now about going out to them. And with the Spirit's power, the worship is not only in word, but in deed too. As we read on in Acts 2, we see this radical community of love united in Jesus, overcoming barriers where enemies break bread and eat, where they share life and they share prayer, where the poor and widows are cared for. And next week we see the Holy Spirit's power transforming the apostle Peter going from denying Jesus three times to powerfully risking his life, declaring the risen Jesus. And as outsiders saw all of this, they were amazed. They wanted to be part of it all. And the harvest of 3,000 come to faith on a single day. And the same spirit sends us friends more than just how my friend was blown away by a new city that he would uproot his entire life and decide to live there. If our new reality with Jesus, if the Holy Spirit's presence in us is so much better than before, when we are at work tomorrow and that curious colleague asks, what did you do today? When that unbelieving family member is intrigued by the randomness of our church community, bewildered by our unlikely love for each other? Do we actually believe that God's powerful presence is with us, that he is mighty to save our colleague, our family member, our friend? Pentecost says expect God to move. At church, after the disruption of the COVID years, instead of going back to the familiar, What, and importantly, who is the Spirit sending us to? As we consider the church's vision for the next 1,000 days, as we consider our reconciliation action plan with our First Nations Australians, as we launch Hope Hubs, as we pray about church planting in the northern suburbs where the nations have been literally put at our doorstep, Pentecost says expect God to move. We can't do any of this on our own. Without the Holy Spirit, we are completely useless. But we have God's powerful presence with us, guiding us from the familiar to the unknown, so our colleagues, our neighbours, our suburbs, our nation and world declare the wonders of God. Amen.